the Team Builder Playbook, bite-sized, honest, and practical tips and strategies for building and scaling your team as a startup entrepreneur. Hey, everybody. I am recording this episode on Friday, January the 24th, 2020. And today I learned of the passing of one of the world's leading thinkers and authors who passed away yesterday. And this person was Professor Clay Christensen of Harvard Business School. He was also a friend and a beautiful human being with a huge and generous heart. And I am fortunate enough to have been impacted by him as a student and collaborator. And I consider him to be a mentor of mine. And it is with a heavy heart that I decided to record this episode today because as the news came in, I started thinking a lot about the meaning of life and his legacy and what my interactions with him have taught me about leadership and impact in the world. And I wanted to share that with you. And I also wanted to share with you that um, when I started this podcast, I had an intention, a strong intention to bring Clay as an interviewee on the podcast. And I was, this was, he was one of my top three people I wanted to have on this podcast. And, and that's no longer possible. Um, And it feels, it feels heavy. It feels sad. It feels like the world has lost a, not just a brilliant thinker, but an amazing, amazing human being. And instead of having me on the podcast, I wanted to record this tribute to him to share with you the top three lessons I've learned from Professor Clay Christensen. So before I dive in, let me just give you a bit of a background. For those of you who may have read some of his books, um, he has over 30 books, and a lot of them are New York Times bestsellers, like In the Innovator's Dilemma, The Innovator's Solution, and a book that's a personal favorite of mine called How Will You Measure Your Life? These books are leading books in the areas of innovation, disruption, management, and business. And You know, Clay had all the trappings of success. He was constantly listed by Forbes as the top business thinker in the world. He had not only his department at Harvard, but he also had an institute at Harvard Business School. And his books were really required readings for a lot of CEOs and business leaders. But that's not really who Clay was for me. To me, he was an amazing human being, full of humility and love. And I'll never forget my experience collaborating with him on The Capitalist Dilemma six years ago. When he extended the invitation, uh, he did that to all of the business school alumni who had taken his course at Harvard. He invited us to collaborate with him on a first-of-a-kind crowdsource project, And it was the first time anybody of his stature had done something like that. And honestly, he didn't need any collaborators. He could have just come up with the theory perfectly on his own. And yet I was amazed to see somebody, a celebrity like him, extending such a warm and personal invitation to his students, not from a pedestal, but really from across the table, inviting us to play and create with him as equals. 
So of course I dove in at the time I was working at Bright, which was a startup that we ended up selling to LinkedIn. And I was working with a lot of engineers. I was working with a lot of um, a lot of marketers, and this was one of the one of the years where the Y Combinator had started exploding and and sprouting a lot of startups. And what I did was I started collaborating on the platform, crowdsourcing platform, and I started analyzing the Y Combinator startups, what they were creating, and I started interviewing a lot of my engineering friends and came up with a few kind of ideas and points of interest that, you know, I was surprised that Clay found interesting. They were around how the world of education and skills building is being completely decentralized and uh, being flattened. And there were some very interesting insights that maybe I'll record a separate episodes that came out of my analysis of the Y Combinator startups at the time. But it was really what we were researching was uh, the idea of capital as cheap or expensive and the idea that companies really are there to produce shareholder results versus and what drives company success, whether it's capital and access to capital and ability to deploy it or something else. And the something else we found together. And it was the basis of a big article called The Capitalist Dilemma that was published in the Harvard Business Review. And true to form, Clay listed the handful of us who he invited to collaborate with him in Boston in person as collaborators, as well as the people who collaborated online. And what I will always remember is when the invite came for me to fly back to Harvard to collaborate with him in person, I was super elated and I was excited. And I honestly, part of me didn't think that Clay was going to know who I was. I had seen him comment on every single article that was submitted on the platform and leave feedback and thoughtful questions. But I had just been so used to celebrity professors and celebrities just not not really paying attention to you know the lowly <laughs> people like like me you know I was a recent graduate I was somebody working in a startup I had a lofty title and uh, building a team but you know I wasn't I wasn't nearly as famous as he was uh, I'm not nearly as famous as he is so when I arrived in the evening and joined the group they were having dinner in the faculty club. And I remember it was a long table full of unfamiliar faces. And as soon as I walked in, I kind of tried to sneak into an empty chair. And Professor Christensen, he saw me, he stood up, he walked over to me, and then he proceeded to greet me by name, shake my hand and welcome me. And I was so floored that he knew my name and he knew who I was. And moreover, he was really excited. And he said he was grateful and happy that I had made the trip to collaborate with him. And he was really thankful for my presence there. And this must have been one of the most humbling moments of my life to have somebody like him thank me and saying how grateful and thankful he was for me being there. So it's not, it's not an understatement to say that 
Clay was the master leader and he was such a brilliant example of humility and the love and attention with which he would interact with every single human being. He would make everybody feel seen and heard and special, just like me that evening in the faculty club at Harvard. So the three things I wanted to be brief and, you know, this was story time and now kind of in the segment tip of the week, I would call it three tips of the week. Two of the lessons that I learned from Clay have to do with his theories, how they apply in business. And the third one is a personal, personal lesson from him. The first theory has to do with his idea of the innovator's dilemma. And the innovator's dilemma in a nutshell is... The idea that as companies produce products and innovations, they go through a life cycle. And the more successful a product or an innovation becomes, the more the company that produced it or is selling it starts calcifying in structures, start building these massive structures and supports to uh, enable the continued success of the product to where they become like a big, huge, unwieldy ship or an oil tanker, I think of it. Like they start as a canoe or as a swift boat. And then as the product becomes more successful, the company starts being like a oil tanker, like a big organization that is hard to maneuver. It becomes more difficult to pivot. There's a lot more cost involved to changing direction, to changing strategy, to adapting and responding to something new that happens in the marketplace. And his next book on which his business school course is based is called The Innovator Solution. And there's various ideas behind that. There's various ways for companies and individuals to take advantage of these waves of innovation without being beholden to the fact that, okay, now we are part of a huge company. We can't move. We're just going to die or we're going to become irrelevant or obsolete. So one of the ways that I clearly remember seeing how a company can disrupt itself, which is not a natural thing to uh, do, Clay and his professors would often refer to it as, it's like when you get a cut and you get a bacteria or a foreign body in the bloodstream, the body's natural response is to send antibodies and shut that intruder down. So any big company that is optimizing a product that has been in the marketplace for a while has competitive threats coming from upstarts, which introduce disruptive innovations or other types of innovations in the marketplace that compete with that big leader. And if a big leader wants to kind of take advantage of these new innovation waves and not become obsolete, they will oftentimes attempt to acquire these companies that have these new products. I mean, you can think of a perfect scenario that we've seen over the past decade, and that's Facebook, just over a decade actually, um, acquiring a bunch of smaller companies, like Instagram is a great example, and companies like Google acquiring YouTube, etc. So when a company then acquires a new product that disrupts its original business model, it's quite tricky because the whole organization is geared to 
destroy or geared to suppress that which it has acquired. And a lot of companies end up killing market value and killing the actual products that they acquire. Sometimes it's an intentional strategy to compete. Sometimes it's not an intentional strategy. It just happens because of organizational momentum. One way that Clay recommended that companies do the acquisition and being able to profit from the innovation as opposed to killing it is to keep that acquired company separate with its own branding, its own messaging, to not integrated in the organization and the processes and the decision making and the product development in the kind of core functions of the main company to keep it separate. It's almost like the big company is now becoming the only investor of the smaller company, but the smaller company's brand is intact. It's as if nothing happened. And for a while, that was the case with Instagram being acquired by Facebook because Instagram, if you went to visit the headquarters in Palo Alto, you would see that Instagram was in its own building, in its own section of within Facebook. They preserved their branding. There wasn't a whole lot of crossover. If you would post on Instagram, it wouldn't automatically post on Facebook or there wasn't a whole lot of overlap. And they kept the members separate so you could have an Instagram account without necessarily having a Facebook account and vice versa. And the algorithms were different. There were different DNA. The reporting structure was also quite different. The founders of Instagram kept everybody reported up to them and they were in charge of the product within Instagram. And that changed recently. Over the past couple of years, the founders pretty much left as a protest because Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg is starting to bring into the fold a lot closer some of these brands that he owns because, and this is just a speculation, he might be afraid of being deregulated or being um, forced to divest some of these properties. And the closer integrated they are, the more one can make a case that they're part of the core business and so they cannot be divested for regulatory reasons. So the whole idea of how companies handle innovation and how to disrupt oneself without killing that acquired innovation is one of the principles of the innovator's dilemma and innovator solution and something that I learned from Clay's principles. And it's really interesting because you can apply it to anything. I mean, you can think of team cultures the same way. You know, if, if you're acquiring or if you're bringing somebody on board who's from a completely different culture, who's used to different ways of communicating and doing work and you want to work with them, then it's probably wise to set them up as independent as possible and have a collaboration rather than kind of a strict hierarchical reporting structure. And there's various ways to think about that as well. But being mindful of what is the organizational momentum and what is the evolutionary tendency of companies as they grow. And finally, the third, the third lesson I learned from Clay has to do with his book, how will you measure your life? And I highly, highly recommend that you guys get it. It's right now it's only $2.99 on Kindle. There's also an audiobook um, 
there's also an audiobook version which is read by by Clayton. He has an amazingly soothing voice. He was great in teaching, being on radio, being on tape. Amazing, amazing voice. So here's something that Clay said in an article that he wrote about measuring life and success, how he defines success in life. And he said, I have a pretty clear idea of how my ideas have generated enormous revenue for companies that have used my research. I know I've had a substantial impact. But as I've confronted cancer, it has been interesting to see how unimportant this impact is to me now. I've concluded that the metric by which God will assess my life is not dollars, but the individual people whose lives I've touched. I think that's the way it will work for us all. Don't worry about the level of individual prominence you have achieved. Worry about the individuals you have helped become better people. End of quote. And so this is who Clay is. Clay is all about heart and all about doing the right thing and being remembered as a human being, as a father, as a husband, as somebody who impacted others and not only as this prominent figure who was a leading thinker an author and business school professor that's how I will remember him and I wanted to share that with you guys it's an emotional it's been an emotional afternoon for me and I'm going to pick up his book again and start reading it Sending you guys lots of love. I'll see you on the next episode. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and share this episode or the whole show with your friends. We are still in the first couple of months post-launch, and this is a critical time where every single subscriber and every single review matters. So if you like it, share it, review it, subscribe to it, and I'll see you next time.